Good morning, and thank you for joining me. If you would, please turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So that's 1 Corinthians 12. Now, as human beings, we tend to think in a fairly individualistic way. Um, we tend to be self-absorbed. Um, and, and what I mean by that is when we wake up, our primary concern uh, tends to be about us, you know, uh, our, our day ahead of us, uh, what we are going to be doing, what we are going to have to eat, uh, where we are going to have to go. And as children of God in the New Testament, Jesus Christ actually tells us that all the things that we need, those things have already been taken care of. They've been handled. Um, that God has, is, is watching over us, and those things will come. And it's because of that we are able to shift our focus off of ourselves, and, and now our concern can be outwardly focused. So we ought to be focused on how we can serve other people. But in order to do that, we must understand that we, uh, as an individual, cannot be the solution to every problem or um, every predicament, um, you know, that we all have a particular role to play. And those roles should be working together harmoniously with those of our Christian brothers and sisters. And it's because of that that we can really make um, make a big impact, especially in our communities um, close by us. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm going to start out by reading um, verses 1 through 11. Um, now I'll be reading out of the ESV. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the, the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, we're not going to go too heavy into each one of these things because we can spend a long time here in just these 11 verses. But in summation here, um, we are all given very specifically individual gifts that are meant to be used in a very specific and individualistic way through one spirit in order to accomplish one goal. So what I what I mean here is that my gifts that have been given to me might be drastically different from the gifts that have been given to you. 
and we are to use those gifts differently. Okay, you know, I should not be longing for the gift that you have and vice versa. I should be using the gift that I have to accomplish the same goal that you're using your gift that you have, which is the glorification of Jesus Christ. Let's look at verses 12 through 14. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now, this is explaining exactly what I said to begin with, is that we all have a role to play. And regardless of how important or how minuscule our role may seem to us, it is no more or less important to the kingdom than one of our brothers or sisters. You know, all of our roles are meant to work together to glorify God. And we are all meant to be working together. But therein lies the problem for so many. Work. The gospel compels us to work. You know, Jesus Christ himself commanded us to do work, to go, right? He didn't say, okay, well, now let's do nothing. He tells us to go, the Great Commission, and that we are to work and we are to work diligently. Now, as one who himself, being God, delights in work, read over in Genesis 1, God has also designed us to work. So when God created man, he put him in the Garden of Eden. And it tells us he put him there, and he tells Adam to tend it or to work it is what it means. Now, obviously, this type of work was very different than the the type of work that Adam experienced after the fall. Um, And if you read Genesis 1, um, or the first couple of chapters of Genesis, you'll see why. Um, So this work was very different. But Adam was to be the, the keeper of the Garden of Eden and everything in it. He was to watch over it, and that included Eve. But we, my point is, is that we were not created to be idle, right? We, we were not meant to sit idly. Um, and oftentimes today, when we get ourselves into trouble, it's normally when we are idle. It's normally when we uh, find ourselves with nothing to do, right? Uh, I remember as a kid, that's when we tended to get into the most trouble, when my brothers and I, when we wouldn't have something to do, we would find something to do. And it normally wasn't uh, very beneficial for, for us. So when we remember that this was, uh, ta- speaking of Adam, that that was before sin had entered into the world and God had told Adam to tend it and to work it, that we realize that work is actually a good gift of God's grace. It's actually a gift now, this is what I meant by there's a, therein lies the problem with the word work is because we often view work as a necessary evil. You know, we think it's something that we must do to make money to survive. But unfortunately, in today's time, children are given everything they ask for and they get it right when they want it. 
and this encourages an attitude of self self fulfillment. Now, some people think that when I say things like that, that it, it, that's a bit extreme. But it, I mean, if you really if you really think about it, that's that's exactly what's going on. Is that so many of us either have given our children or were given ourselves so much that we become spoiled to it you know and when you look at television and commercials and these things and they they explain how you know you, they're trying to sell you things and and it ends up being about self it's self-centered everything about your life ultimately becomes centered on self this is not the attitude of the scriptures this is not the attitude of the christian so what we end up with is we end up with this idea about work that if we can just endure 25 years of work somewhere, then we're done, right? And that, uh, I can work for 25 years at this place, and then once I get my 25 years in, I'm done, and I never have to do that stuff again. Uh, I can finally do what I want. Now, this is not the biblical view or biblical attitude of work. God's plan is for us to be good stewards of the creation that he has entrusted us with, his children. He's entrusted his children with, with, with his beautiful creation. He's, he expects us to use our roles that we play, both inside and outside the church, to produce and provide services through all sorts of jobs, right? Um, when you think about uh, a, a actual like employment, your employment, you do one of two things. You either pro- provide a good or you provide a service of some kind, right? You, you may be making something or you may be doing something for someone else, but it's normally those two things. Um, well, we are, we have a role to play there at work. And, and when you break it down, you can, especially if you're, if you're in management of any kind, you can see how some of the people who, who are the less experienced or whatever, you know, who are in the uh, lower positioned jobs, uh, like an assembly line, for instance, right? We can see how that plays into the big picture and, and how each step plays into that job and how if done accurately and appropriately it accomplishes our main goal now this is exactly how we ought to view our work towards the kingdom is that we should be providing and producing a good or a service for the church body and by doing that we are contributing to our community, um, to our culture in a way that serves people and it honors God. And that's, that's the idea behind, behind this today is that we are trying to pinpoint how can we get our role that, uh, use the gifts that we have and, and play the role that we've been given in or, in in such a way that we are able to serve people and honor God. But unfortunately, because of our selfish hearts, uh, there is a problem. We look over at verses 15 through 19. 
it says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, there would be this, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Right? We as fallen people tend to try to segregate ourselves from others. And what I mean by that is instead of looking at ourselves and our roles that we play soberly and with humility and realizing that we as God's children are all working together to accomplish the same goal, instead of glorifying Jesus Christ, we start looking at each other like competition. We feel like and think that we're competing with our brothers and sisters you know, we do this in the in the um, in our place of employment, right? If there's one position available that's a management position, and we know that one of us is going to get it, we're we're in competition to to attain that position. But this is not the way that kingdom work should be viewed. This it's not a competition to see who gets the best, most prestigious. Is what I mean there, the most prestigious job or role. What we ought to be doing is trying to encourage one another to fulfill the role that we've been given rather than fighting over a role that neither one of us are qualified for. You know, we, we, we try to express to others how important we are in our jobs, uh, in our, you know, with our sports teams or even in our relationships. We, we are so competitive and we end up cultivating this attitude to where we begin to believe that somehow my role is more important than someone else's, you know, and I'm guilty of this. Um, and, and to an extent, I think for those of us who, who recently left our church, we are probably guilty of this. Um, or if you've ever had to face something like this. And what I mean by this is, you know, when we left our church, um, I even caught myself saying, well, they're not going to know what to do with us. Uh, or uh, do without us, right? We, we play such an important role. I play such an important role. They're not going to know what to do without us. You know, they, they won't be able to have Sunday school or they won't be able to do this or do that. And how arrogant is that? Now, I'm telling you that I'm confessing to you earnestly. Um, I'm not telling you that's okay. It's definitely not. I was, I'm convicted over that very thing. Um, I'm expressing this to you because I don't think everybody would be willing to do that uh, because I think a lot of us have thought that in some way even if you've played a role in the church in some way in your church in some way and you've stepped down from that role or you've been replaced from that role you know our first thought is well they're not going to be able to do it as good as I can or they're not going to be able to accomplish as much as I would have in that under those same circumstances and again how arrogant that's nothing but pride but you know what's what really stings for me personally when i when i had that thought and even said you know well they're not going to know what to do without us when when i heard that they were continuing on 
like nothing happened, it hurt. You know, it hurt me a little bit. And, and, and part of it is because, well, I thought they needed me, you know. Now, am I saying they don't miss certain things? I don't know. Uh, you know, they might, they, they may not. Um, but, but what I do know is that my attitude is my responsibility. So if I get upset because they continue on without skipping a beat, that's because I was full of pride and maybe I should have been removed from that position earlier if that's the attitude that I had. So what now on the other end of the spectrum, right? Because some, some of us think, well, our job is so important. Our job is our role is so crucial to the church's ability to function. But there is another end of the spectrum that, of people that, that believe that, uh, that what we do, you know, our role is so insignificant that we actually don't fulfill it to our full potential. You know, there's some people that think, well, I don't do this or I don't do that. So my job's not as important. And when you start out with that attitude, do you really think that you're going to pursue that, that role with as much zeal as you would if you felt called to do it? Now, what I mean by that is just because someone doesn't have the same role as you does not mean that it is any more or less important. And that's what the scriptures are saying here. It's if everybody was doing this one thing, then what good would it be? You know, uh, Noah's Sunday school lessons are no more or less important than the sermons that I do. Um, You know, when Zach stands up and does his biblical reading, uh, that's no more or less important than mine or Noah's uh, roles that we play or someone's faithful attendance or someone's faithful prayers. Um, right. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? It would be utterly useless. Now what? So, so, I mean, just think about that for a minute. You know, some people are like, well, you know, I've been sitting in a Bible study for 10 years and, and they've asked me to, to, to teach now. And I just don't feel led to do that, but, you know, but they're doing it, so I guess I should do it too. That's not necessarily the right attitude to have. You should be able to, okay, I will express that, but that doesn't mean that you should now become a teacher, uh, a biblical scholar over other people if that's not what, what your role is to play. Because what would happen if all we had were teachers? Well, we wouldn't have any students to teach, you know, if every one of us decided to sit down and teach a Sunday school class, who would attend? So we actually experienced this. We, I'm, I'm, when I say we, I mean um, our church, my the church that I attend, we experienced this recently on a very small scale that we had. So we were like, man, we've got a bunch of Sunday school teachers and a band and all this and and man, hey, we're going to be fine. And we're like, oh, hey, well, we don't have a pastor. You know, that's kind of a problem. Um, but you can apply the same analogy with with any role. It, I mean, what if whatever role it is that you're playing, even if you you believe that it's insignificant in comparison, what if no one did it? There's a reason why God grants us certain gifts and allows us to pursue a certain role in the, within the church it's in order to, um, 
to to make us able to function as one body. Let's look at verses 20 through 25. It says, As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. I mean, when you read the scriptures and you really study them, they're so countercultural uh, to America today. It's, 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 it's almost funny in a sad way, right? It's not actually funny. It's, it's very sad. But when we think, right, when you think of roles within a church, if you're just thinking generally here, the very first thing that normally pops in everybody's head is a pastor or a preacher, Okay, the next might come the music guy or the next, maybe the Sunday school teacher. And then maybe, you know, you start going down this list and those that often get forgotten, like the ones that clean up or the ones that come early and unlock the doors or the, or the, or the woman that uh, decides she needs to, you know, bake cookies for everybody for Sunday school one morning uh, or the man that does it or fill in the blank, you know, the, the person that, that, that is self-employed so they can go and visit people who are in the hospital uh, so that the pastor doesn't have to take off of his full-time job or whatever the case may be. Those people, the scriptures actually say, have been given greater honor. The ones that we consider less honorable are actually the, the great, have received the greater amount of honor. That's, that's amazing to me. This is evidence that we people have such a poor understanding of God's character. You know, we tend to believe that the position of a pastor holds greater prestige than that of someone who brings food or, or, or prays for the sick, or even just comes to attend, uh, attends, um, diligently and, and, uh, consistently God designed and ordained it to be this way for a purpose. Excuse me. Let's look at verse 26. It says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. We hear a lot about this word unity. You know, we hear in in our current cultural climate that we need to have unity with all faiths, with all beliefs, and with all people. But is that what the word teaches? No. And, you know, we can discuss this in depth another time. But it does tell us that we are to have unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, um, I heard this analogy, and I think it's, I think it's a, a great example, is you'll hear people argue theological issues, and one of the first things that comes up is baptism, is how baptism is... Um, performed right how it's that's probably a 
poor word, but uh, how it's conducted. What the things you sh- you s- should say, or if you should be fully immersed or sprinkled or whatever, right? But it's normally two people who are baptized who are arguing over baptism, uh, or the same thing about salvation. You know, I've heard people arguing. Now there there is some legitimacy to both of these things. I don't I don't want to misrepresent that. Okay, somebody could be representing baptism or salvation in a false way. And that does need to be addressed. But most of the time, it's it's over minutia uh, and preference. Um, so, like with salvation, you know, people people will argue over uh, salvation and the requirements of salvation and what you must do and what you must show before and after and all this. But it's normally two saved people that are arguing over being saved. We are to seek unity with our brothers and sisters. But what's crazy is it seems like we tend to seek unity with the world first and we have the most animosity towards our brethren. That is not biblical. Christ has ordained us to have individual strengths and weaknesses uh, in particular areas so that we must rely on on each other you know there's things that i just can't do um and i need help and i have learned over the past uh probably eight months to a year uh, that i have to ask for it right i can't expect people to just know that i need help with things or that uh you know i need somebody to, to carry a uh um a certain workload that I may not be able to carry because I tend to try to pile too much on and then and then I'm like oh, I'll figure it out and that's a that's a poor way to um, uh, to lead in any way but my point is is that God designed this way uh, designed us this way and designed the church his church body this way so that we must rely on each other you know if I know that somebody has a strength with something in particular, Maybe I should be encouraging that person to fulfill this need. You know, one of the one of the best examples of this I've ever given. This is a personal example. So if you don't know this individual, then you're just going to have to, you know, skip ahead 30 seconds or so. But uh, Keith Pittman, one of my closest friends, Keith and I were asked to go and mow this woman's yard. And so we get there and we bring our mowers and weed eaters and stuff. And and uh, mine, my, my equipment was just better suited uh, for the yard. Um, so I was able to, to knock out a lot of stuff fairly quickly, but, um, when we got finished, that's the part that I'm not good at is, um, the woman wanted to speak to us and, and she was basically wanting to thank us for coming and all this. And I'm just awkward about that. I'm just like, Oh, you're welcome. You know, but Keith surprised me so much because he's normally, you know, pretty quiet or, um, but he, opened up and spoke to this woman and it was just like that is his gift it would i knew immediately that is keith's gift and keith needs to fulfill this role from now on he needs to be the liaison between the church and and its members the church and the the you know the church as far as leadership and the people that attend i mean he did such a phenomenal job and it wasn't it's not just me bragging on Keith. It was you could see the spirit of God working through Keith 
in a supernatural way that was not ordinarily characteristic of Keith Pittman. I needed him to fulfill that role that I couldn't at that, at that particular time. But when we rely on each other like this, by doing this, we can then empathize with one another. And we will have true concern for one another. And we'll truly be able to love our neighbor as ourself so that when we suffer, we can suffer together. And when we rejoice, we can rejoice together as one body in one spirit. Right? I've talked about this I don't know how many times about uh, my friend Cameron and I. We are so drastically different over certain things, but but we're such close friends because we're one in the same spirit. And you could say that with any of your brothers and sisters. You know, you could have such stark differences between you and a brother or a sister, but you always have unity in the only thing that matters. So because of that, you will always have a closer relationship with that person than you will with uh, someone that's living a worldly life or someone who is lost. You know, uh, when you think about that, sometimes the people in your congregation, your brothers and sisters in Christ, are actually more of your true family than maybe some people that you're blood related to because you're of the same spirit. So we all have an individual role to play in Christ's church. But this is only true. This is only true if you belong to him. Right? Um, Most of us can recall a time when we were zealous for kingdom work. That's what I heard somebody call it, and I like it, so I'm stealing it. It, you know, it was always in line when we were zealous for kingdom work. That time was all always seemed to be in line with a time when you were when you truly and rightly understood the precious gift of eternal life. But that comes through the understanding that you were once walking in unrighteousness. You know, you you used to used to you might still but my point is is that you at that time you yearned to labor for christ because of the gratitude that you had for christ a lot of us experienced this when we newly became converts you know when we were transformed when we were saved and reborn that is normally when we experienced like i have got to get busy i got to tell people about this or i've got to i want to do this and i want to get involved with this but now you know, we tend to sit idle and complain about our fleeting circumstances when we have no right to complain. We have no right to sit idle, but we have every, every reason to rejoice. You can only be a part of the body if you've been transformed to the body. So what I mean by this is if you are lost, these things don't apply to you. You know, maybe you've been going through some of these things. Maybe you've been been even working. Um, you know, we know some people personally that have done kingdom work for a long time. And they didn't realize it until much later that they were never truly saved. I tell people this all the time that the gospel, the message of the gospel is simple. 
you have to understand who God is. You have to understand who you are. You have to understand what he's done for you. And then you have to understand what is now expected of you. What I mean by that is you have to understand that God is the God of all things, the creator of heaven and earth and all things, the God of the universe. And he knew you. He foreknew you prior to the creation of all things. He knew of you and he knew that you would turn your back on him and that you would live a life of carnality, that you would that you would adopt sin and that you would love it instead of loving righteousness. And this was before he created all things. He knew this about you. But he loves you so much and he's, you know, people say God is love and he is ju- and he's just, but he he is and he loves you so much and he is so full of justice that he made a plan for you to be reconciled back to him prior to the creation of all things. When you read Genesis 1, he actually says, let us create man in our image. Christ is there. Christ was never plan B. God the Father did not, was not surprised by Adam's fall, by Adam and Eve's fall. It, you know, Christ was not his plan B. Salvation was always meant to come from the Son. So God, creator of all things, is holy and is righteous. And it's because he is holy and righteous and just and perfect that he can have no part in imperfection, which is sin. And it is also because he is just and good that he must punish sin, that he cannot let sin go unpunished. And so... Because he knew that you and I had no hope. We had no chance of reconciling ourselves back to him. Because once you become a transgressor of the law, there is no good sacrifice that we can offer. Because nothing about us is good. We are utterly depraved. We are, we are morally corrupt to the very core. To where our, our hearts desire sin. And he is absolutely perfect so because he sees us without hope he is so good that he he decides to humble himself to lower himself in the form of a man to live the perfect life that you and I could not that we did not also that he might be the only one that can reconcile us back to him God's requirement for a good sacrifice is perfection. And because Christ is the only one who is sinless, then he is the only one who is perfect. And it is only because he is perfect that his sacrifice could be once and for all. It is by his blood and the acceptance of his word and his truth and through repentance that you are saved. Jesus Christ on that cross did more than just die for us. 
and I mention this every week and I will continue to from here on out, that it was not simply that he died that saved us. It was that he bore our sin. He bore my sin on himself, the burden of my sin, the, the weight of which I could not I could not hold up under, but he, up up under, but he being God and being perfect could bear the weight of not only my sins, but the sins of all those who would come to him. And he had his father's wrath poured out on him so that it would not be poured out on us so that we would be perfected through his blood. It is by agreeing with this and coming to a true understanding that you don't deserve it, that it will bring you to a place of repentance. Because without repentance, there cannot be salvation. Because without repentance, there's no true contrition. You know, perhaps your Christian life that you've lived, um, your spiritual growth, maybe it feels a bit stagnant. Um, If so, perhaps you have become stagnant. Maybe you have allowed or even encouraged this state of complacency and comfortability. Or maybe your heart was never truly transformed to begin with. And you you have simply adopted the lifestyle of a Christian. And you are now imitating something that's genuine without being genuine yourself. I don't know. But if that is true, then I would challenge you to do as Paul says and to examine yourself to be sure you are in the faith. If you have been born again and born of the Spirit, then praise God. We can rejoice together. But if you're unsure, seek seek out the Scriptures. See what it says. Uh, a, a true Christian, a true someone who's truly transformed should look like the things that they should express but for those of us who are born again born of the spirit what are we to do verse 27 now you are the body of christ and individually members of it and god has appointed in the church uh in the church first apostles second prophets third third teachers then miracles then gifts of healing helping and administrating and various kinds of tongues Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. What we're supposed to do is we are supposed to rest in the knowledge that we belong to him. And when we do that, when we can truly rest in that, then we are to diligently seek ways that we can offer every aspect of our lives as a living sacrifice, which is, as the scriptures tell us, our reasonable service, right? It's our reasonable service. It's not something extravagant. These these things, these roles that you that you play, these um, this work that you're able to fulfill with through God, right? 
is your reasonable service. It's not extraordinary. So what if I don't know what my role is yet? You know, um, somebody asked me that recently. I don't really know what my role is in the church. Well, ask. Ask somebody. Ask somebody that you, that will give you a an honest answer. Now, I'm not saying that there's those that will lie to you, but some people might to try to save your feelings. And I'm not telling you to go ask somebody that's just going to hurt your feelings because there's those people too. What I'm telling you is seek someone that you have confidence in and ask them, hey, I, you know, I don't really know what role I'm supposed to be playing. What are some some attributes that you see within me that I can do, or what are some things that that I know that I'm that you know that I'm good at that I can use to further the kingdom? You know, don't be afraid to ask your brothers and sisters what your strong points are, and then don't be afraid to ask them how you can use those abilities that are given to you to glorify God. And that's when comes the difficult part, right? This is so we've got all this. We 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 understand why we have individual roles, and maybe now we understand what those roles are. But now we have to actually fulfill them. Now we have to work and we have to do it with joy. We have to be glad that we've been given the opportunity to serve because it is more than we deserve. Any good work that you do, it's God working through you and praise God. Anytime I do something or I'm able to to do something that I think is good kingdom work, I have to constantly remind myself it's not me that did it, it's Jesus Christ who did it through me. Praise God it's not me that did it because I would have messed it up. So this week, I challenge you to seek out your role. Figure out what your role is. Figure out what your strong points are. What are some things you can be doing for the church body? Now, I don't necessarily mean doing in the church, but if so, then that's great. I mean, what are some things what, what, what are some things that, that you think are lacking within your church that maybe you can help with? Maybe just some, some fresh ideas might even help. But seek out what that role is ask people ask some people that you have ask mentors and things that you have confidence in and then fulfill it find a way figure it out you know when i when i first started this class this online class uh series of sermons and lessons and whatever you want to say excuse me it came from it came from uh, a need you know we we were uh, people were quarantining they were having to stay home we were having church online it was so impersonal and we were providing everything that the church had to offer um, we were providing those things in people's in the safety of people's homes but we weren't providing Sunday school of some kind and I just thought why aren't we you know why are we not providing some sort of way for people to have sunday school online or maybe some people that that teach sunday school aren't able to sit in on a class maybe they need a class to go to or somebody to sit under also 
So I was like, you know what? That's what we need is we need an online online class. And and then you know what my next thought was? Well, who's going to do it? <laughs> you know? That's, that's normally where our mind goes. Is I have this great idea, but I'm going to let somebody else do the work part. I want to be the idea guy. But instead, I was like, no, I'm capable. I, I think I'm qualified biblically. So if there's a need, I see a need, and I'm able to fulfill it, then do so. Now, again, this is not me telling you that I did something good or right or patting myself on the back in any way. It's just an example of the one time that I did something right out of the 10,000 that I didn't, right? The one time that I was obedient, that's the, the, the truth there. The one time that I was obedient is I did something that, that actually was beneficial um, to others. I was able to serve others and honor God by serving others. So I hope, um, I hope that this helped this week. I hope you have a great week. I hope to see you back next week. Um, please continue to pray for this, um, this series, this class for me. Uh, I've got quite a bit on, on my plate, probably too much, but, uh, so I got to do a bit of a, a juggling act. So please be in prayer for me. Uh, I'll do the same for you. If you have any questions or comments or anything, feel free to ask. Let me know. Um, if nothing else, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. God, I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me. I thank you for the tools that you've equipped me with. I thank you for the characteristics and attributes that you've blessed me with. And I also thank you for revealing to me how I ought to be using these. Not as fruitless, um, self-satisfying, self-satisfying or self-glorifying ways but to use it in a way that glorifies you Father I ask that that you continually remove me from your word continually remove anything that I might add Father and just let it be your truth so that all glory might go to you go with the people that are listening today are watching Watch over them, Father. Give us strength and courage to carry out the work that you've entrusted us to. Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.